Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Bove in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 137 Six. of The Yacking Show. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives for the changing world we're living in, and it's certainly changing. As always, we have interesting guests. Today is no exception. She is going to be really interesting, but it's not my job to introduce guests. Kathleen does it so much better than me, so first I need to welcome her. And a quick plug for Kathleen. She wears other hats, and one of her big hats is uh, <coughs> Kerry Tech Solutions, where she will help you solve your IT recruitment and development needs. Over to Kathleen. How are you today, Kathleen? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you, and thanks for that intro. And thank you all so very much for tuning in to our show. We so appreciate you, and we love reading your comments, so please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. Her name is Kim Corti. Kim, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you. Well, I'm so glad to be here and I'm doing fantastic. I live Good. in California, so uh, it's a bit of ways from you guys, but I still feel very close right now. <laughs> we we got to tell you, we felt we were in California last week. We had temperatures in the 90, low 90s and really high humidity. It was absolutely sweltering for a whole week up here. And then it dropped rapidly over the weekend. That's why I got a jacket on today. Uh, it's quite cool where we are now. Anyway, enough about the weather. Kathleen, back to you. So, Kim, you are the, I would say, the chief emotions officer of your coaching and mentoring business. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your background and how you came to embark on a career helping people to manage their emotions? I have the title Chief Emotions Officer because I want people to pay attention to their emotions and to be the Chief Emotions Officer of their life. I went through some really, really tough times. It, few, I call emotional earthquakes, my uh, childhood experiences that um, a neighbor did not act appropriately. Mm -hmm. I also had some uh, problems because my mom died of alcoholism, a lot of the things around that. But the thing that really kind of like tipped me over the edge was a divorce. Mm -hmm. And this divorce was just devastating. I can remember laying on the floor of my condo thinking, what am I gonna do? I have a project manager background and so I became my own project and said, how am I going to get past this and keep this from ever happening to me again? This led to a journey, which on the journey, I wrote a book about creating um, and maintaining balance in our lives and in our personal lives. And then I realized that managing thoughts wasn't really helping me manage my emotions. And this led me to discover the theory of constructed emotions. Oh, interesting. And so what is meant by a company's emotional culture versus their corporate culture? When a company has, uh, they have what's called values. And these are stated, and every company should have values. These are a beacon to employees and the public alike as to what's important to them, how they want people to behave and to feel within the organization. A lot of people think that thoughts drive our behaviors, but it's really our emotions that drive our behaviors, thoughts, and decisions, the majority of them. 
So when we have a culture where you've got values that are not being lived, in other words, culture should be your values walking. And when they don't, you have a poor emotional culture. And this is when you see toxicity. And this is when you see all kinds of problems with and, and turnover. It's because people's emotions are disrupted, which in turn affect their, their decisions, their behaviors, and the overall productivity of an organization. Hmm. I'm, Kim, I've read in management books and heard management consultants, strictly business consultants, say that no matter how good you are, uh, culture trumps strategy every time. So, so that entrenched, this is the way we've always done it, attitude in a company is, is really difficult to change. So, so how do you, as a consultant, how do you deal with that? Well, it has to be going back to what do you want? It's back to values and re-evaluating what your values are. But it, it also has to do with the ability for the senior leadership to accept emotions. There's this whole, my whole motto is destigmatizing emotions because our emotions keep us from seeing things. Um, I could go on and on and on about this point, but we create our emotional responses by listening to signals, signals just like we used to see. These, these are coming from our sensory system. So if we choose not to see things or to feel things, this disrupts this ability to do things differently because you won't see the problems. It's also called willful blindness. And that, if you can have a leadership team that is willing to be open and look, that is what makes the change. And it takes a disruption of your abilities to, um, no, I wouldn't say disruption, but it just takes that openness to look at things and realize that you can see and feel things and it's okay. And you can, you can look at them and still be able to get past them. And it's just okay. ability to connect emotionally. I, 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 I'm going to expand on, ask you to expand on that a little. Uh, you can hear from my accent. I'm not a native North American. I was brought up in the British, born in England, brought up in the British school system in Rhodesia, of all places, a colony, if you like. So it was very much stiff upper lip and men were told you do not show emotion. It's an absolute sign of weakness to show emotion. Yeah. So I've lived my whole life with that, as, as have many men 20, 30 years younger than me. So I, I would believe that senior management can sometimes see the need to understand the emotion, but still not be able to do anything about it. Is, is, is that also not where the block comes? Um, more often than not, if you can't, be, if you, well, <laughs> I'm trying to put this nicely without going too far. This, this they don't see the results of, yeah. of not feeling it. So they can say, oh, yeah, you know, we may need to do this, but they don't feel the impact of their not or see the results or feel what their people are feeling. Empathy is the ability to recreate in our body what we, uh, we see others experiencing. So we each 
how handle situations maybe slightly differently, sure. but it's a recreation of emotion. It's not something that we see it and then we feel it, we recreate it. So if you can't create that emotion because you were taught it's weak, which is bull, or it's, it's a soft, you're not being hard and tough because look, all kinds of emotions show up, but they're right. the ones that are considered, you know, the, the good ones for a man to have. So right. that's, that's where the problem lies is that, that inability to feel it because then you don't take action. Okay. No, good. Thank you for that. So now I think the heart of what we're going to talk about today, your, your newly discovered sense of interoception that you refer to in your website. Tell, tell our audience more about that and us. We want to hear about this. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things to talk about, we have a sensory system, right? And it's sensory data that comes in through our ears, through our eyes, you know, what we taste and smell and even what we touch. So we have all of these, this, this data that comes in that tells us and explains us our, our outside world. Then we have sensory systems that people aren't familiar with, like proprioception. If, God forbid, you've ever been pulled over by a, a cop for drunk driving or suspicion of, they have you put your head back and go like this. Why? They're testing how capable your brain is because proprioception is where you are in space. So if your brain is impaired, you can't, can't mm -hmm. do that, right? Interoception is how you feel inside of your body. I alluded to this earlier in that your sensor, your, your whole, all of your organs, they have uh, receptors and they're constantly sending information signals to your brain and your brain has to make sense of them. So in combination, your body is constantly having to respond or sending signals that your brain has to respond to. These interoceptive signals, the signals about how we feel inside of our body are used for multiple purposes. One is if you, if you are hungry, your brain will tell you, look, we need energy and make your stomach gurgle, right? We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. The other is emotion and that your body will send you signals that you need to either pay attention to something like fear, or it will tell you other things about the state of your body, that you're happy. You know, any, any moment that happens, your brain is trying to make sense of the data that comes in. When we, it does this, it's using our past experience mm -hmm. because anything that we say or do, we have to use past experience. This is why I refer to it as our recipes in our head. We have what's called concepts or heuristics where we take all of like a situation and we put it into this, this, this little neat concept or recipe and that's your recipe for love or that's your recipe for fear. And when we have all of these recipes, that's what your brain does to predict this is the other thing people don't understand is that we predict our emotional responses. We predict our needs and we predict what we see. And it's, this is just part of that process. So when we understand and connect to the signals 
that our emotion signals, then we are better able to navigate our emotional responses. Because just like in the case of your executive who says, I'm not going to feel this, they're not connecting to the signals. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does indeed. <laughs> but I've just got to ask you another one. Sorry, Kathleen, I'm going to jump in quick. As life goes on, we change those recipes, don't we? Yep. I'm sure you're going to get into this a bit more, so I don't want to preempt that. So let me go back to Kathleen. <laughs> so, so Kim, on your website, you mentioned that if you can make a sandwich, you can manage your emotions. And I, I'm wondering, I would love for you to explain this because somehow oh, it, seems, it seems difficult. I don't know, managing your emotions? Right. I, I know, and I do that to be provocative. Okay. If you look at the combination, what is a sandwich? It's ingredients. And then it's the person who puts it together, right? Who, and, and we'll call it a chef because, you know, let's just say a chef makes a sandwich. And so then that sandwich is a combination of ingredients. And then we, we call that sandwich something. We call it a, a ham sandwich or ham and cheese sandwich. When we create our emotional, because we create them, we don't, this whole idea that we have an emotion brain or a reptilian brain is outdated and not the, the current science. And really interception is, is being more pointed to as a part of our emotional experience and being able to connect to our interceptive signals for emotional health. So if you look at these signals as ingredients and our past experiences, these concepts or these recipes as how we put them together or, and then the label that we put on it. So if we have, let's say we see a dog and we were bitten by a, a dog when we were a kid. So we, uh, our recipe for that is fear. We could change that recipe and not be afraid of the dog. This is a choice and we have the power to make those kinds of changes, but we also have the ability to make real more fine detailed recipes too. And to be able to say, it isn't just a sandwich, it's a ham and cheese sandwich and have all of these different labels, which give our brain more to choose from. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you give us perhaps um, an example of how in, in certain situation I might be able to manage my emotions because you just, we're talking about feelings and, and, and in the moment um, something happens and we just feel. So how would I, how would I go about changing that or managing that emotion? There's, so there's a, that's a, that's like a whole class that, um, or course that I teach. I'm that sure. I'll, so, uh, but what I'll do is kind of give you just the, the little bits. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that our emotions are predictions. And Peter just talked about how we have all of these experiences and our emotions change. If we are better able to label, and I'm going to go back to this again, it's called emotional granularity. And if if, for instance, we respond a certain way, it doesn't mean that our response is true or accurate. It's just how we're responding. There's different ways to question, is this response really true? Um, am I looking at the whole picture, adding curiosity to it? Or 
not understanding like why do I keep doing this I encourage people to write about it because I'll give you an example and this is using just one of the tools that I teach and during, when COVID hit it was a very hard time for me professionally and I said oh I need to turn in my rental car because I just had a gut feeling that this was going to go on for a really long time I I was so depressed over turning in this car and it was just a leased car and I I didn't have to pay anything I mean there was no sense in why I was so down about this and when I I got a piece of paper out and just let everything out because remember we have all of these things in our past that we just don't know about and when I just wrote about it and when I say right, I mean, I, I was in a quiet place. I didn't have anybody interrupt me. I was uh, just writing free flowing and all kinds of stuff came out that had nothing to do with the car. And I was able to move past it. So there's, there's lots of things that we can do, but what's more important is to be proactive in creating our recipes. So I always give the example of if you were to go into a bagel shop and say, I want to order a bagel and, and they said, well, what kind? And you said, I just want a bagel it, until you can describe it in detail what you want. You're just going to get a bagel. So our ability to describe our emotions and label them is really critical for developing this emotional granularity and not being afraid of what's called bad emotions or negative emotions. Pleasant and unpleasant alike serve a purpose. It's just trying to be more accurate and more detailed in them that gives us the ability to change our recipes and to add new ones. Okay, okay. So yeah. I'm gonna jump in with, sorry, Kathleen, I'm gonna jump in yet again. I, I, I do this, I do apologize. Kim, the example you've just given about you and the car, so if in two or three years' time you're faced with giving up something else which you'd always thought was an important part of your life, would the fact that you've handled the car experience help you with the next one? If, if, so you have to understand that giving up that car was not really related to anything around giving up the car. It was no. some other feelings that I had that I had lumped into the car. We're sure. a very complex people. We're just complex. Our emotions are a combination of multiple things. They're our past experience. It's our DNA, our genetics. It's our physical condition. So if we are not taking care of ourselves with healthy foods, if we're not exercising, if we're not getting enough sleep, there's a lot of factors that help us to... Uh, better navigate our emotional experiences. So the, the future events, I might handle it just fine because it, the, the situations around it okay. are not <clears throat> even similar. Not similar, okay. I just wondered. <clears throat> yeah. But, but having gone on that track, we'll get back on the proper track in a moment, but I need to push you on this one. Um, if you talk about resilience, does, does building resilience by overcoming an adversity at one point in your life and in one situation help you with the next time you're faced with adversity? Do you build on that resilience, do you believe? Part, a key part of a resilience is the ability to, it, if you think about what is resilience, let's, I used to own a running shoe store with my ex-husband. 
the the bottom of a of a shoe a running shoe is designed very specifically to move your foot during the gait during running and also to provide resilience so that you right. don't hit the ground and create injury and when we are resilient emotionally this means that we bounce back faster right mm -hmm. Part, there's a few keys to resilience. One is identification. How can you bounce back if you don't know what you're, you're facing? Mm -hmm. Experience gives us that. And then the bravery, and I don't even like to say bravery, the ability, the skill of being able to identify it and then pivot from it. Because here it is, what do we do with it? If you think about it, your brain stops bugging you once you handle your food needs, or once you drink some water, your brain stops bothering you. Mm -hmm. So once you you acknowledge it and do take appropriate action, then you've handled it. So the faster you can do that, the longer that you don't sit in a, a situation that could have some long-term detrimental physical effects because our emotional state, we're one body and emotions impact us physically too. Okay, good, good, good. I think we've covered the cooking bit, unless there's any more you want to add on the recipe and cooking side. Just, just that it's a, it's a powerful thing. When, it, you know, Kathleen referred to the fact that, you know, oh, emotions are just kind of overwhelming. But if we are able to look at it as something that's separate from us. So for instance, in our house, we have two dogs, but Finnegan was our first dog. So is something's not right if my husband didn't, you know, change the toilet paper roll when it was empty? I'll say Finnegan didn't do it. Finnegan <laughs> didn't do this. If something happens around the house and I didn't pick up something, Andrew will say Finnegan didn't do this. It's, it's a way to depersonalize it. And having this metaphor of cooking helps to depersonalize it because okay. now it's something that's in your head. This is something that's separate from you and the brain just really reacts well to things that are not specifically you. Interesting. That's so, very interesting, yeah. yeah. Tell us about the courses that you offer. It's, it's all about understanding how to identify your emotions, what going more detail, what is interception? Mm what how the brain works with interoception but more importantly how to what i ref, I, I learned this from the author of the book it's called a body budget um, the book is called how emotions are made the secret life of the brain life-changing for me but the the body budget and why maintaining it is super critical because if you don't have a, a a proper working kitchen the recipes are not going to come out right Right. Or you're not going to be able to identify the right recipe. So the, the body budget and I use it's called energy fairies and vampires. So what brings us energy and what takes away and then um, understanding how emotions are made and how to create recipes, how to challenge current recipes and really just to be make you more mindful and then support that afterwards with specific words and and how to take these go-to emotions and break them down into multiple emotions because just like recipes and food we have spicy ones we have savory ones we've got salty ones it, we have this whole gamut of flavors in our emotions and being able to 
soften it where it's more appropriate or even spice it up where it's needed. I got to pick up on something there. You mentioned challenge current recipes. Mm-hmm. Yes, because <clears throat> what, what we feel and what we think aren't necessarily true. It's right. just what we've always done, but it doesn't make it true. Your parents may have told you your whole life um, that some emotion was bad or just like what you were saying, let's mm-hmm. go back to that. And that's not true. It's, it's a part of life. It's, it's something that you know we, we learn. You may have learned that all dogs are mean because you got bitten by one dog. That's not true. And so by it being able to allow different experiences, it actually creates more recipes. Okay, with you. you. Ah, Good. This almost sounds to me a little bit about NLP, neuro linguistic programming. Am I off track with that? No, I've read about NLP, but Mm -hmm. I think it's, and NLP is really, you know, about visualization. It, that, that's true, but I, I can't say I know enough about NLP that I can speak definitively on it, but I think there is some crossover because it's, it's about working with the brain and how it functions. Mm-hmm. And I just work very specifically in associating it with food because I feel like it's a safe way. My husband is a sommelier. So oh. at first I wanted to say you know, <laughs> wine and I realized, well, that could be off-putting because there's people who are alcoholics, there's people who uh, religious reasons don't drink, food everybody eats. And we understand the flavor palette. And when we understand our sensory system and and how it works together and how there's different food combinations and how they work together, it really, really was a good fit. So um, I think, using uh, these types of illustrations makes it easier to learn. And like I said, it also makes it less personal because you're a chef. It's not you. It's, it's the cooking side of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So quick one. We have a little bit of time left. <clears throat> Would you say that there is a need for many people in your experience to change their recipes now in the times we're living in right now, where, where for many people, our whole worlds have been turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, um, I, I see people who, who go so quickly to anger and can't allow that space who are ruled by their emotions. And I'm not saying that, that not being ruled by them is, is easy. It's just that there's the ability, the emotional granularity is just, I keep going back to this, but being able to see a situation and pull back and and get a bigger picture is so important. When we are in a negative situation, if you think about like if a barking dog or a bear was attacking you and, and, and these things, our emotions can be made up and often we are predicting poorly and you learn about this, but when you're in that situation and you have the cortisol going, you're hyper-focused, right? On the thing that is, is your danger point. This 
creates a, a situation where you can't pull back and see the things that are good. And so it's this control or this ability, and I'm going to actually call it a skill, this skill of being able to say, okay, here, let me come back and look is what makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if I can help people develop that skill, then I'm extremely grateful. Good, good, good. So here's one that I, I like to ask all people who study human nature, and, and that's your big area. So if there's, is there, in your opinion, one characteristic or one habit or one attribute that sets successful and, and, and I don't mean just in wealth terms, I mean successful in balance of life and everything, that sets those people apart from the average who are probably stressed and, and not really living their ultimate happy life? I, I, I'm going to say the first thing that comes to mind is curiosity. Ah, yes. Curiosity is probably, is, I think it's squashed, actually. Mm -hmm. People aren't allowed to be curious enough to kind of think outside of the box. Seeing something from a different perspective, if you even just think about a camera lens, you know, if you look at one thing, but if you move around something, you get all of these different viewpoints. So curiosity is probably one of the greatest and most underrated qualities that someone can develop. I love it. I and love that's it why too. that's why we do this, because we meet so many interesting people. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, thank you for that. That, yes. that is, I, I really enjoyed that. And I really believe that too. It, it certainly keeps me going at uh, my, in my advanced years. <laughs> So I, I'm going to steal another minute if I can. Oh, listening to, you listening can have to as you. many of my minutes as you want. Uh, yeah, I've got to watch Kathleen. She keeps me on a tight rein. Here, so. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. You keep everything on track. I tend to get led astray. Um, Kim, I, I'm a great follower of Stoic philosophy. And I, amongst my daily readings is, is this book called The Daily Stoic by Ryan yes. Holiday. Uh, you know it. And a lot of what you're saying about stepping back and seeing the big picture and, and in the, if we quote Marcus Aurelius is um, accept life, things as they are and, and do your best, but don't try and change everything sort of thing. Yep. Does that fit with what you're talking about? It, it, it absolutely does. The perspective, how we, the recipes, I'm going to say, what we say something is in fact uh, there's a, a book i read and i can't think of the title right now and death is not treated the same way in every culture no and no. and and we experience things based on either what we think we should experience it to be or how we were taught or what we saw so we mirror it and sometimes things are just what they are and if we put too much meaning around everything, I, it can bog us down. Mm -hmm. Or to accept things as they are means we can try and examine what changes we need to make. We have these experiences for lessons. And yep. life would be boring if every lesson was positive. Absolutely. We, we need to be able to see them and to respond. I am, I am pro-stoic. It's just, at least <laughs> what I know about it so far, yeah, I, I yeah. just, it's, it's all what we make it Absolutely. and what we make it in our head. Right. Thank you for that. Kathleen, back to you. 
And I think we are almost out of time. Kim, can you tell our audience how they can contact you? Kim Corti, it's K-I-M-K-O-R-T-E dot com. That's one simple way. And from there, you can can contact me. You can learn about what I do, or you can uh, get access to my uh, different social media platforms. And I'm also on Clubhouse, too. On Clubhouse. Great. Great. Good. And for our audience, we, both Kathleen and I, have spent some time on Kim's website, and she's quite right. Lots of fascinating stuff on there. And you said you wrote a book, too. Yes. It's called The Perfect Heart, Creating and Maintaining Love-Life Balance. It's about, uh, it's really a Venn diagram that's in the shape of a heart, and it represents your time and your personal relationships. And it's just a visual to kind of help you keep track uh, of maybe a not enough time or too much time because that's what happens in personal relationships. Okay. And that people can find that on your website as well. You know, it's so funny. People say, why don't you promote it more? It's not on my website. It's on Amazon. It's called the perfect heart. But I think now after today, I will put a link. Yes, for sure. Most definitely. (laughs) And we will give that a mention. Kim, thank you very much. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for being on the show, Kim. And thank you all for tuning in. We so appreciate you. And once again, please keep those comments coming because we love to read them. And uh, if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And until next time, take care. Bye-bye, everyone. Goodbye.